Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. So, hey, everybody, welcome back to Business Black Belts. I'm really excited today to have Scott Greist, who is the COO of Prima Health Credit. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to all your listeners for tuning in. Absolutely. No, this is going to be a great one. I, I feel like every guest, there's some angle that makes me excited in advance. And you feel like you have had one of the most eclectic careers of any of the 60 or 70 people that we've had the chance to interview on this. So I'm very excited to get your perspective on a range of things. Um, but just to start, uh, for anyone who doesn't know you or Prima, uh, maybe you could just introduce yourself and your role and what you guys do. Great. Well, um I'm a product of the 80s, educated in college and high school, and took the uh, Gordon Gecko path, greed is good uh, approach right out of college, and did the corporate road. I thought I was going to be this big Wall Street guy. Uh, ended up actually in automotive finance. Um, and back then, you know, it was entrepreneurship wasn't a thing, right? It was you did your time at the corporate, you ho- hope to rise up the ladder. And I did about eight years. And back then, companies used to pay for your MBA, believe it or not. So I got that opportunity, went back and did, uh, got my MBA uh, without costing me a dime, which was awesome. I don't think too many companies do that now. And in our final class, I took the entrepreneurship track. Uh, me and my four buddies, we won the competition. And our professor said, hey, we love this idea. We're going to give you a quarter million dollars if you all quit your job and make it into a business. So we took them up on that, and uh, it was right before the dot-com boom, 2000. I'm sure some of your listeners will remember that. And we did it, and we sold the company to Yahoo, and we thought we were rich. And then all of a sudden, the dot-com you know, bubble burst, and we all didn't have $10 million. We all had like half a million bucks. So anyways, but that gave my first taste of entrepreneurship and then started diving into owning my own businesses. And since then, I've been really focused on fintech and finance technology, which is really transforming business. Um, back in the day, uh, had a small business lender um, called Merchant Cash Advance, where we loan money out to businesses, Main Street America, because banks generally say no to Main Street America, and we would say yes. And we had a nice product where we give like a pizza parlor 10 grand because their pizza oven went out, and they'd never write us a check back. Instead, we'd say, hey, change over to our credit card processing company. And every time you charge $100 of pizzas, instead of you getting 100 bucks, you get 95 bucks and we'll take $5 off the top and we'll pay back your loan that way. So did that, put a couple million, put out a $2 billion from 2008 to 2015 and sold that to actually our large credit card processing company. Uh, they found out when people had a loan through their credit card processing, Magically, they never changed credit card processors, which was a commodity product. You know, everyone tries to beat the rate. And from that, then started Prima Health Credit, which is we're trying to democratize patient health care and financing. As you know, most people, you know, 50% of people don't have more than like 600 bucks saved in their account. And so when they have a medical emergency and they need financing to, you know, get a crown, uh, get LASIK done, put braces on their kids, we're a great alternative uh, for those with less than perfect credit uh, to finance their next medical procedure. And that's what we've been doing last two years, uh, um, going for our Series B here soon, uh, experiencing great growth. And we are trying to disrupt uh, 
the space with the FinTech model. Care Credit, you may have heard, is the 800-pound gorilla in the space, and we're trying to, to disrupt an old business by new technology. Like you, you apply mm-hmm. all the way through your mobile device, and it's done in the doctor's seat at the office, and um, we don't have any late fees. We don't charge that uh, draconian interest when you get late on your payment, and then all of a sudden your interest rate jacks up from 9.99 to 29.99, and trying to make it really fair for everybody and be a great user experience, not only for the patients but for the staff in the medical office. Make it easy for them to use. We use a lot of game, like a lot of Robin Hood we stole from or borrowed from, making it like gamification, gamification to use the platform and just make it super simple and intuitive to use, like which all millennials and Generation I, you know, have grown up with and are aware of. So. That's what we're doing at Premium Health Credit and sort of the path it took to get here. Yeah, it's, well, it, I have so many questions. So one of them is you've obviously, and looking at your LinkedIn as well, I mean, you even still do, it sounds like some hard money lending. Like you're, you're very much in yep. the credit world. You really understand credit cards, loans, loans to individuals, loans to businesses, which leads me to believe you probably have a pretty darn good sense of what leads to a successful business or even a successful person because you're evaluating so many on this basis. So I'd love to ask yes. you, what do you see as common trends in successful people? And I'm sure that would mean successful companies too, but like what makes the good ones separate from the bad ones? Yeah, my uh, my expertise really isn't, is, in this, is also a subset. It's in subprime lending, really. Mm-hmm. People that banks say no to is where I have a lot of expertise both underwriting consumers and evaluating credit on businesses. Mm -hmm. And really it comes down to, and it's really easy to say, is it a willingness and wanting to pay? Um, There's a lot, you know, like anything in the world, not, you know, 95% of people are good. 5% of people are bad and they're going to stiff you and not pay you anything. Right. Most people want to pay their bills. Right. Mm -hmm. The key is, is eliminating that 5% that aren't going to pay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking on just the credit terms, I can go back a little bit more into, uh, on a personal level and business level, but a lot of interesting things I've come up with a lot of people find, uh, quite intriguing is for example, when evaluating a small business owner, FICO has nothing to do with it. There's mm-hmm. almost no credit risk from someone difference in credit risk from someone that has a 580 and someone that has a 720 credit score. But there's a lot of other mm-hmm. things that you can look at. For example, the number of times their credit has been pulled in the last 90 days versus the average that we've been pulled on a month by month basis over the last two years, we found out. So if their credit's been pulled 10 times in 90 days, they are probably in a bad situation, right? And when on average, they have their credit pulled once every 90 days. Mm-hmm. That was a huge tell for us as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Then also, especially uh, interesting is like when I did a lot of restaurants and bars. Not looking at their Yelp rating, but looking at the trend of their Yelp and TripAdvisor and other social media platforms. So you have somebody that's a someone that's a four. You think, oh, someone's four stars on Yelp. That's great. Well, if they were five stars six months ago, and now they're four stars, there's an issue. If they were at four stars and still are fine. If they were at three stars and now they're four and they're getting money because their business is expanding and growing and you know getting better in the community and have better reputation. So. There's a lot of different things you can look at. You can tell. Now, on the personal side, we've done some interesting stuff too. Like we found out when people give you permission to look at their cell phone, that is the best. Because there's one point I can look at your cell phone 
and I can guarantee whether you're going to be a good payer or a bad payer. Hmm. It might shock you. What percentage of your contacts are properly stored and capitalized in your phone? If over 80% of your contacts in your mobile phone are stored like John Smith, capital J-O-H-N, versus uh, Johnny Boy, you're a good payer. Now, hmm. there's a lot of reasons why you may think or may not be that way, but I have my own theories on it. You know, someone who's more due diligent, takes the time to store stuff correctly, also takes care of their life better, takes care of their bills better, things of that nature. So it's really, really interesting. All these new points of data that are coming out, which make fintech so exciting. And is this stuff that business, I know business school, when you talk about the topic of debt, like should someone yeah. in my generation go to business school? Is this type of thinking something that business school taught you? I know you've obviously worked like Saatchi and Saatchi is one of the largest ad agencies in the world. Like yep. you've kind of had so many of these intellectual like Volkswagen, like where did you learn how to be so analytical? Because it's it's like entrepreneurial analytics. Like you're thinking outside the box. You're not just pushing spreadsheets. Right. I think, um, well, I think a good base is what's needed first. That's why I love when I'm interviewing kids, like people that just have a good base, whether like just a basic poly, you know, political science, it teaches you how to think and, you know, great for salespeople. Econ, I love because it teaches you how to think like in supply, demand, it just gets ingrained into you. And then I think on the entrepreneurial side was um, really MBA school and being around like-minded people. Um, for those that really, I still think um, higher education is wonderful at a good quality school because you're around other people. You create, and obviously the other thing is you create incredible networks, right? You get exposed to people you'd never come across. And, you know, and I think that's even a bigger benefit than the education you get, you know, don't get me wrong. It's wonderful to learn about, you know, you learn about legal, you know, law, and, you know, you learn accounting, which I hate, even though I'm in <laughs> finance, you know, you learn marketing, you learn, you know, a lot of different, a lot of different skills, but that network you create is amazing. And from there, then we, you know, just basically entrepreneurship is just getting in the trenches and doing it really. And, I mean, do a lot of people need to go to school? Hell no, not to become an entrepreneur. The best thing is just go do it and really bootstrap and, you know, and, and struggle. That's how you learn and how you do it. So. Yeah. That, that's sort of been uh, my learning as well. My dad's an entrepreneur, but I, I went from big company to small and I, I realized, uh, yeah, you just kind of, no one's going to give you a handbook. <laughs> Like you just kind of got to start. No, but I do start. think it is yeah. also good. Like uh, a lot of my friends ask me to talk to their sons and daughters about what's good. I think right out right out the gate is good to go work in a big company just for 12 months, 24 months, just so you learn how stuff gets done. You know what I mean? You learn how to sit in meetings. You learn process. You learn, you know, corporate structure. And it's like a free education if you treat, treat it that way. So I do think, you know, it is, unless you're in like in some creative, my wife's in the creative industry which obviously, you know, all hats off compared to normal business in those industries, film, television. Um, but, you know, it's a free education to go learn and get a good solid base just for 12 months. You're going to learn so much. And if you really put a lot into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So now I'm curious for you of all the different jobs you've had, like you, you've done a lot, like it packed into a, yep. a pretty relatively short amount of time. What uh, what stands out to you as the one you learned the most? Like if someone wanted to be you in terms of like, you got your hand in a bunch of businesses, you're leading a high-tech fintech startup, you're 
like if they wanted to reverse engineer how to become you, do you look at a couple of these experiences like super, super pivotal more than others? Like where's the 80-20 in your own life experience? Yeah, I would say for me personally, it was getting an MBA um, because I wasn't confident enough personally to, you know, to go do something on my own. Uh, and then I met a like-minded individuals to do it. So that was number one, was the most key. And I give a lot of credit to that, obviously, you know, professors giving you a quarter million dollars and having faith in you and being part of your board. That was huge. And then secondly was um, when I started American Finance Solutions and really putting it all on the line. I basically, you know, had this small business lender and I had a couple million bucks, but I risked it all. I gambled it all. I put it all into the company. I went out and got a hundred million dollar line from Wells Fargo, and I had to put up my all my wealth, all my my house, everything. And really, you gotta believe. Bet on yourself, man. You gotta bet on yourself. You gotta believe in yourself. And hey, if it didn't work out, no, I would have been fine because I would have learned a lot along the way, and would have been willing to do it all over again. But really, betting on yourself and going for it, and. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be committed. And I, I hear a lot of people saying they want to be um, an entrepreneur. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't you start something on the side? Like I work eight hours a day. Really, dude? You work eight hours? That means you have 16 other hours? You got another six hours in the day to start another business. You know, mm-hmm. really? What are you going to, you only got to sleep seven hours. Mm-hmm. So, and, and really, you have to have the dedication to it. And if you're not willing to even put four hours after you've worked a full day at your normal job, into something for a year, it, entrepreneurship's not for you. You really got to put it on the line and go for it. I, I've been amazed that I, I've come to realize like you have kind of two jobs. You have your day job in entrepreneurship, which is talking to customers, talking to the market, talking like all the stuff like this, so you're out there in the world. And then you have your real job, which starts at 7 p.m., which is 7 p.m. to 1 when you're doing all the work you talked about during the day. And yep. like you said, there's no shortcut. It's just that if, if you don't want it bad enough to start at 7 p.m. when you have the job, like you're never, it's just, it's so much harder. I've found it's harder than people think in the inputs, but if you do do the inputs, you're usually more successful than you realize. You are. And then that success yeah. builds on it. Because once you taste that success, you mm-hmm. keep pushing. And the next thing you know, you're working 16 hours on Saturday. You, you know, your wife's telling you, hey, you're only allowed to work four hours on Sunday, you know, and it, it builds and builds and builds on, and it is the most rewarding thing. And I think what drove me the most is those informative years. I started off in the corporate world you touched on. I was about 26 years old. I'm looking around at all the older guys and gals, and they're all 45 and absolutely miserable. They get their two weeks of vacation off a year. And at that point, what really drove me to go back to MBA is I wanted freedom of time. You know, I realized that time is worth more than all the money in the world, you know, mm-hmm. like I would, I would trade all my wealth right now. I'm 53. I would love to trade all my wealth in the world to someone who's 21 and do it all over mm-hmm. again. You know, mm-hmm. it's just time is on your side and just having that freedom of time to live your life. the way you want. It was my biggest driver. And then sort of why you touched into why I got into all the things I had the ability, like, um, I love surfing. So I wanted to create some surf documentaries. We did that. And, uh, you know, it was a great passion, fun project to do. It turned out to be pretty profitable as well, which was a bonus. But, you know, you get to do what you want to do. Uh, my next door neighbors wanted to start a wine bar. Okay, let's go start a wine bar. Uh, they were really good um, operators of a business they didn't own. So they were the, like the managers of an absentee owner. 
And well, let's go do it. You guys are passionate about it. And I think that's something you look in people. Really, I think the most important thing for successful people is really resiliency. You got to be able to roll with the punches. It doesn't matter what they throw. It's not fair, right? What happens in business, but you got to be able to pivot. Uh, resiliency is number one, be able to, you know, to deal with failure and setbacks. And then number two is really dedication to it. You know, a good team is more important than the idea of what's happening. So I think it's really key. Like I'm, I'm the original angel investor in a company called Chow Now. Pretty good. We're worth about 5 billion now. We do online ordering for uh, competing with Grubhub and things of that nature. And the two guys um, were referred to me by uh, a professor at my MBA school. And they happened to live in my same hometown. And I believed in these guys and they're really good. And Chris Rev and Eric Jaffe have just done an amazing job. And, but there was a lot of, a lot of setbacks that they had to get through now. And they're going on our, our 14th year now, and hopefully we'll have a public event pretty soon, but it's really, that, the team. that has to, that's a pretty awesome investment for, uh, for you. I'm sure that oh, yeah. worked out not too bad. Oh, it's working out well. It hasn't, oh yeah. It's all on paper now, but yeah, hopefully it'll turn out in the end. So, yeah. and then every that, time that, I've invested in something that didn't work, it was the team. They gave up, you know? Interesting. So you haven't seen one fail where the team wasn't willing to give up. Yep. Nope. Nope. If they're really dedicated to it and are going to, it's almost like a will. You will it to happen, you know? Now, not of them all are stellar successes, but you will it to happen. And, you know, you make an exit. Maybe everyone makes a few bucks or everyone breaks even. That's fine. But really, it's the dedication of the, you know, of the operators in there doing it is what's most important in any idea. Now I'm curious for you too. So, so all of us on my side of the entrepreneurial kind of gap, like you said, of really time freedom, uh, mm-hmm. look at someone like you and think, I would love to get to a point where I'm investing in businesses. You're no longer trading your time for money. Like you've gotten over right. that hump where you really yep. could just be done and surf all day. You're doing it for fun. And you're still choosing to be COO of another business where you very easily could have said, I'd rather just put money into Prima Health. So what is it about operating that keeps you going versus just sitting back and pushing spreadsheets all day, which sounds like easily could. I, I, I did try that actually in 2015, I sold, I was basically had, a, you know, I had the golden handcuffs for five years, you know, and I tried mm-hmm. sitting around for three years and I also had young children. So I spent a lot of time with my kids are older now. So it was, it was good timing that way, but I sat around and honestly, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years and I was just so bored. Like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. You sit around you, you know, I was trading little stocks here and there and, and, you know, helping people out a little bit, but you know, I, I gotta be in it, man. To me, it's a game, right? I gotta be in it. I could be playing the game. I want to be winning. I want to be a winner. I'm going to do everything I can to be a winner. And I think that's just something that's in you, man. I mean, and I was miserable. Uh, quite honestly, I was, even like, I'd go to the beach every day, have lunch down there with my buddies who are firefighters that, you know, only work freaking 10 days a month, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, it was just like, you know, I wasn't creating, wasn't doing anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's and an I got interesting. into Prima Health. My original buddy, I went going back to our first company we started out of the MBA school. He called me up and said, hey, I'm starting this company. I need your help on the loan expertise and the ops on the back end. And I just, this perfect time said, I'm in. 
how much a big a check do I need to write? So I was one of the angel investors in Prima Health as well. I'm like, how big a check do I write? Let's do this. Let's go. And so, and I've been just having fun doing it ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's my incredible. wife's a lot happier too. Keeps me out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm also curious for you. So when you look at the fintech space, and I'm mm-hmm. not really a, like in it de- as deep as you are. Like, there's obviously so much noise that you're competing with, and I look through something like Chow now and some of these, uh, and uh, and I've I've heard of Bodega. I've never actually been to California, but I've heard of Bodega Wine Bar, one of the other the yep. one you referenced before. Um, so I look at these businesses, and I know like my whole world is mostly B two B cost of acquisition. So it's like, mm-hmm. so I know a lot about like the conversion on the B two C world. I I always wonder like, how does a business like Chow now? get the flywheel started when paid ads have gotten so expensive or Prima health, like you're trying to acquire a user and like these mediums are just rising in costs. Like how do you get that user act? Cause it sounds like this is just like clockwork and I, and it's totally fine if you don't want to share it. I'm just so curious. Like how do you get good at that flywheel? Oh, that's a tough question, man. Um, well, first off, you know, Chow Now sells to restaurants to other clients. And for Prima Health Credit, we actually originate the loans through the doctor's office. So the doctor's offices are really selling it. So I'm I'm not really good on the B2C side and marketing directly to consumers, but I'm great at exploiting the network to reach them, right? Yeah. So we sign, I you know, it's a lot easier to sign up a, a large medical provider that has 100 dental offices throughout, you know, the Southwest. And then you automatically reach their 600,000 patients, right? To sell the product through. So I'm really good at finding those relationships in between the two. Like at Chow Now, we, you know, we got our first little chain uh, uh, called Jersey Mike subs, right? To take us on. Instantly got into all those restaurants and other restaurants saw them using it. Then they used our solution. And, you know, so I'm good at exploiting those networks and how to reach uh the consumers in, in the end. And that's what I'm good at because you have to understand what's not important to the consumer, but what pain are you taking away from the network to give them permission to access those consumers? So I think that sort and, of maybe answers your question. And payment processing, I know, is not an easy one. So if you can cut your teeth in payment processing, you can probably do it oh, just about anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can sell used cars or do payment processing, you can sell anything. Yeah. What I love yeah, that, it, that it, innovation it, is so interesting too, because uh, it kind of reminds me of like a Jay Abraham thing of like, you got to think outside the box of like yeah. what would make them do it. Like your loan idea is genius because it's like one tweak that changes everything because yep. you can suddenly, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've heard the name Chet Holmes. I love that kind of stuff. Like how do you get in the door in a way that's different than we can get, get, sell you a lower rate or whatever. Cause like you said, that's not sustainable. No. No, so you, you you went, and that's why that business is so successful because the reps, the credit card sales reps are walking in the door. We're not saying, oh, I can save you 25 bucks a month in credit card processing. They're saying, hey, how would you like to have 10 grand in your bank account and you don't write us a check? We just take a portion of your sales. So when your sales are up, you pay us back more. And when your sales are down, you pay us back less. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? No one cared what the rate was that are paying on their credit cards. So nor would, and if anybody walked through the door saying, Hey, I can save you money and you're already a client. They're like, no, I'm good. I'm handled. I got this loan through this machine right here, sitting on my counter of my diner. I'm not going anywhere. So. And then hypothetically, once once they paid you back, then you'd still keep all those customers was also the idea. 
oh, the average business did eight loans with us in four years. Wow. They kept coming back again and again and again because they could always use money. And sometimes they just need five grand, right? Hey, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of retailers, like all the holiday retailers, they'd come get 50 grand every September, August, September, because if they paid their vendors 50 grand cash up front, they could usually buy 70, 70, they usually get 65 to $70,000 worth of merchandise because they're prepaying, right? There's incentives and figure they're marking that up. Eh, what most retailers mark up hundred percent, mm -hmm. right? So they're getting 140, it's only costing them 50. So even though I probably charge them 10 grand for the financing, it was a win-win situation. So we had a lot of repeat clients like that would come back again and again and again. And do you have advice for, like a lot of people listening to this are probably aspiring entrepreneurs. Like they work in sales or something. And they, like, do you have advice for how to come up with I ideas like that? Like that in hindsight is like, oh, that's such a good idea. But you feel like you're the type of person who can spot a good one from a bad one and come up with a good one. So how, how does your brain work on those? Yeah, I, I mean, I really try to listen to, you know, find out like through friends, families, other entrepreneurs, just what problems, really, just what problem can you solve for yourself, solve for a family business, solve for a friend, um, and think about it. It could be a new application, it could be a new interface, it could be a new product, it could be a new service, it could be the new, new way they pay. I mean, there's so many iterations. And I think you could, a lot of people get, I have to come up with a big brand new idea. No, you don't. Just take an existing problem or issue and how do you tweak it that adds value? So you don't have to come up with like, hey, I'm going to figure out a way that cleans up all the plastic out of the ocean and it's going to be this multi-billion dollar business. No. How do I change the recycle bin out back so automatically uh, – uh, sorts between glass and plastic. That'd be a great innovation, right? And save, you know, the uh, waste management companies probably millions of dollars. If you could just figure out some way to tweak a little problem and you, and then you take it from there and then tweak it more and more and more and build on it. So don't, I think a lot of people just get so overwhelmed and they make it too complicated. Or they think so big, like you said, whereas it's, yeah, they, you got to start small. Big. Yeah. No, like, these other guys at Open Wallet, um, these guys are in fintech as well, and they realize that people who immigrate here from another country try to hire immigration lawyers, right? But they just got here, and they have no money. But history has shown over and over that immigrants that come here, they're the hardest working people in our society usually, and they will do everything to pay their bill. So they started a, a fintech company financing attorney's fees for, immig for immigrants. Mm -hmm. Their bad debt is 2%. Mm -hmm. They're killing it. So they're, they're trying to, they saw it because one of their, uh, their brother, you know, they got a new brother-in-law, law was from another country, and they were having this issue that there was no money to finance, to finance their relatives coming in. And it's a brilliant idea and they're blowing up. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Just little things like that you got to think about. Yeah, I love your advice. I, Richard Branson often says, it, like, ch chase your own problem. Like you said, I, all the stuff I do is born out of my dad. My dad's business had problems that I tried to solve and eventually started my own company. Just keep solving the same one for others. 
Yeah, we were sitting around. It's like you're exactly right. I never would have thought other. I never would have just picked on a napkin like lead generation. It's just such a like weird thing. Just like you, like would you have picked payment processing? Like probably not. Never. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then you fall into to start it too. Tesla. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people too. So I'm not passionate about it, and that's one thing. Like a lot of gurus say, you got to do something you're passionate about it, and I really disagree with that. I think once you get really good at something the passion develops. You become the experts in the space. There's a hell of a lot of tax lawyers I know that weren't too freaking passionate about tax about tax law when they started, mm-hmm. but now they sure fly private and have a larger selection of mates and they probably deserve because they're pretty damn passionate about tax law now and are killing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you get that passion because you get the accolades, you become the expert in the space, you get the financial reward, you get the satisfaction of, you know, becoming well-respected and moving the needle and doing something different. So I think a lot of people overrate that passion. I got to be passionate about it. I'm passionate about surfing, but I don't know how the hell I'd make a lot of money in surfing. So. Yeah. And, and I think you're so right. I, I feel like passion comes from people too. Like if you're working, like you mentioned with a professor you like with other teammates, you like, like, that firefighter example you gave, if all of you were suddenly trying to rescue someone in the ocean, it would suddenly have purpose and passion again. It's really just like, we just got to be moving alongside each other more than what we're doing. Yep. And a lot of passion can be too, it can be like a, you know, creative you want to create something passionately, whether it be a television show or something, you know, so it doesn't have to be necessarily a product. It could be you're passionate about helping people as well, you know, you know, for yeah, greater no, good. 100%. Or I think like what you're doing lead gen, a hell of a lot of people don't know how to market, man. And if you can help them build their business, you're really changing people's lives, right? And giving them the tools so they can be successful. It's, it's a pretty wonderful thing. And you should be fairly compensated for that And as you get better and better at it. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I wanted to pick something like you said, Jeff Bezos said, solve a hard to solve problem. And yeah. my whole thought was go at it without uh, locking people into contracts because then... Uh, they would, they could fire you at any time. You, you would kind of protect them from ever getting burned. And like you said, the whole problem was everyone's getting burned by marketing companies. Exactly. And like you said, it's a yep. simple innovation. Like I'm good enough to let you fire me at any time. That that like simple thing suddenly change. And I think that's where people overrate these big ideas because they. I think people like me look at a guru like you and say like, how do I get to the next level? Because I'm at level wherever on your LinkedIn profile I'm reading here, I'm like down here yeah. and you're up here now. And yeah. like, it's interesting because the advice is just work hard and just keep tweaking and ask. It's all the same stuff. People just get tired of doing those. It's asking someone like you, what will get me from what, like my show, like white belt to yellow belt, but I can't jump from mm-hmm. white belt to black belt because the disposable right. money that Chow now kicks off for your next 50 investments, I don't have. <laughs> So it's like, it's useless for you to show me what second degree black belt looks like. But I think everyone gets so obsessed reading like Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. They forget about the fact that like those guys are Elon. They're so out of the league of me today. Me today needs to ask you, how did you, or, or someone who's at yellow belt, how do I get like from that making like a hundred thousand dollars as a company to making $200,000 as a company. Whereas I, I found my generation. Yeah. Yeah the patience is just not yeah. there with in general. It's like they want to, everyone just wants to go right to here. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee. Listened to a lot of stuff and, you know, he talks about patience, man. You got to have patience and you got to put in the work and it sucks for people to hear, but you got to put in the work. You got to put in the time and yeah, you can fast track it, 
but you got to put in the time to learn about it and, and do it properly. You can't just go trade crypto after watching a stupid one hour YouTube video. You know, there's a lot of guys that do really well in crypto and NFTs that I know, but these guys have studied it for thousands of hours. So unless you're willing to put a thousand hours into it, you know, you're going to be wasting your time and effort and money, which could be put someplace else where you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love your advice. Cause it's very, I, I think about it all the time. Cause I, I put up these polls on LinkedIn just to stir the pot where it's like, is work ethic or is uh, working smart more important? And there's this huge debate and like hundreds of comments and everyone's just hating on the people that say work ethic. And it, it cracks me up. Cause it's like how, Work ethic is what drives working smart. Like you said, exactly. if you're doing it 18 hours a day and I do it eight hours a day, it doesn't matter if God gifted me with more brain cells than you, you're going to get better at it than me so much faster. And exactly. none of us is smarter than the learning on the job. Like it's exactly what you said. So now I'm curious for you, if you look at uh, a restaurant, because I know that industry mm-hmm. is has just been so through it the last couple of years. Uh, and yep. I... I've, I've always been fascinated by the restaurant industry as a complete outsider. What's the number one thing you, you look for when you're investing in a restaurant? Like Bodega, obviously, the fact that I'm in Connecticut and have heard of it is a sign that you, again, saw something right with that one. Like, what yeah. do you look for? Uh, well, well, restaurants are, uh, you know, physical business. So number one, you look at, obviously, location, location, location for a restaurant. Because restaurants only survive with good local clientele unless they're in some like you know they're next to disneyland some tourist area right it's got to be the right location so you got to do the basics on the demographics of where you're at and then number two again i have to say it's going back more the uh, operators the operators who's actually running the damn business Mm because you know restaurants up until the last five years ago also a heavy cash business easy to get ripped off right super super easy so you got to have integrity the operators and willingness to do it because it is a service business so your operators really have to be on it. You, you, you can have a great meal, but if, if the service is not good, you're probably not coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about service when it comes to those businesses and the operators. And then I think lastly is menu and uh, concept. You know, it is important, but it's definitely way further down than mm-hmm. location number one, because you got to be, you got to be in the right market, right? And then, you know, Number two is, again, the operators, what they're doing. And as you look at your own career and how much you've accomplished, I love this question because for all the listeners that are still, you know, either ahead of you or at the same stage or behind you, like I would consider myself, like it's such so helpful to hear what someone else answers this. So what, what do you want your legacy to be? Like when you actually can't do it six days a week anymore? And you really are just sitting telling grandkids about it. Like, what do you want to have been true of your career? Um, well, number one for me, I I think ethics and trust. That's number one. You know, uh, I want to be known as a good person that you know really helped others, and also a win win situation. I think so many times in business, people approach it as a win lose. But when you approach it as a win-win overall, you know, it brings a lot of value and you get sought out more later on because people know you're a good person that's not going to screw them, that really has the best, the best um, 
you have the best intentions for the deal, not for just one party, right? Because I can go into a deal, I do an investment, and I can set myself up where I make the majority of the money, or you know, because he who has a gold makes the rules, right? But um, if it's not fair, it's not a win-win for the entire company. Guess what? I'm never going to see another deal come across my desk again because word's going to get out, right? So not only is it a good thing to do, it helps you out in the long, in the long run, right? Playing the long ball is so important. When you start focusing, even for young people, don't worry about making a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. Focus on your legacy sixty years from now, and just take steps towards that. And all the other BS is going to go away. Everything else is going to take care of it. Care of it. As long as you progress towards that long ball every day, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry. It's all the little minutiae stuff. Yes, it's important. Seems important now, but day by day, you take that little step. It just builds, 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 builds. And I think that's the kind of legacy you want to have. And I want to help a lot of other people too. Um, mm-hmm. One business I have is doing the hard money lending in coastal mm-hmm. capital in Southern California. And, you know, we started that 2007, had a couple million bucks, and now we're $25 million fund. And it's a lot of people started like 100,000 or 200,000 in 2007. Now they're up to like 1.6, 1.8 million bucks mm-hmm. investing with us. And I really want to help those close to me, you know, be prosperous and build wealth so they can, you know, decide to spend time with their grandkids or spend time, you know, volunteering at, you know, their local library or charity, whatever they want to do. So mm-hmm. that's sort of like, I want to do in the legacy, but I never, I'll never stop working. It's, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Sit yeah, on the I, beach? I, mean, I feel the same way. Sounds great for about a week. <laughs> the way I see it is you make enough money for what you need. And as long as there's stuff like Ukraine going on in the world, if you're struggling with having too much money, then give away the money and go make more to give yeah. away again. Cause there's always going to be a world that needs people like you that are, are able to be successful from a competence perspective, but also have those intentions of really passing the ladder back down or helping others. Cause I, I, I don't think the societal problems that we face are solvable without like benevolent businesses just because they're too big. Like until businesses want to take care of people, like you're the government can't do it. Yeah. At least it's my no, opinion. Yeah. The government's not going to only, only free enterprise is going to do it. Right. And mm-hmm. that's why I love. And I think I love one thing I want to touch on is I love the entrepreneurial spirit of the younger, of the younger crew that's up and coming now. Right. The generation I, uh, you know, the millennials, I mean, God, when I was that age, I didn't, we didn't have Elon Musk, right? There was no Jeff Bezos as, as role models. You know, Steve Jobs had just got kicked out of Apple, right? And started, uh, what was that other crappy company he had, right? Uh, next, so, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's so exciting for these young people now today just to have the role model and at least have a map or, you know, they've seen the path done, right? And I think they're going to, I think that, I'm so fired up on this younger generation on what they're going to do and use entrepreneurs to solve a lot of these problems. I think it's the best time to be late. A lot of people complain. I just can't wait to see what this younger, what the younger group does. And I, they're going to transform our lives and what they're going to do. I'm just super fired up on them. And, you know, it, it's just a great time to be alive and to see it happening. 
Yeah, and we have it so much easier than the generation before us because the the access to capital, I think, is just not oh. only through like our family's hard work, but through like things like all the stuff you're touching. And the other thing I think is the access to mentors, like the fact that I can bring you onto a podcast and you can only teach me, but all these other people like me. I mean, that didn't exist when like 20 years ago, like yeah. there's no way to reach you. And now like you can find anyone on LinkedIn and go like, holy cow, Scott knows a lot more than I do about life and business. I should go ask him what he thinks. And the yeah. fact that you can do that, uh, it blows my mind how much opportunity there is because that's when people are like, how could you work till two in the morning? You kind of look at them like, I just, I don't see how it could get any easier. Like, wh- yeah. how could you not during this era? Because I could see a lot of ways it could be harder. <laughs> but right. right now, it's just, the, it, it, it feels like, uh, yeah, I totally agree. And just the attitude. I appreciate people like you. Like as a, uh, one of the things I like, I, as a Christian, I often read the Bible. Like, it talks a lot about the uh, wisdom of like counsel. And I think so much about that. Like why try to figure it out myself when you already have figured it out? Like, cause if yeah, I bring a lot the of people ethic, willing to help you too. Totally. If you bring the work ethic, they'll do everything. They'll give you the support, but they'll give you the ideas and the guidance. And the work ethic is what's lacking, not the intelligence. A 1,000. Actually, I also say sometimes too much intelligence gets in the way. Also, I really, I've seen some really brilliant people where they can't get out of their own way. That's nothing to, you don't need to be super smart. You know, some of the best entrepreneurs I know that, you know what? They just finished, some of them, they have just finished just high school when it comes to book smart, but yeah. damn, are they good at what they do and really understand their markets and you know, what they're being like. I always tell like, I've, we have a kid on our street. He loves old cars and he's not book smart. So his dad set him up in a, in a very old business of restoring old cars. Mm-hmm. He rents a crappy little garage and in, in a cheaper neighborhood, you know, little ways from us. But guess what people who own old cars have? Tons of money. Mm -hmm. So he can charge any hourly rate he wants. And he really loves old cars, number one. But there's no, all the old car guy restores, they're all dying. They're all 70 and 80 years old. The guys that work on these 1960 Mustangs, these, you know, 1920 Packards, the 1930 Bentleys. And he hasn't, this kid is so set up for life. And this little niche business because, mm-hmm. and then people close their shop. They're referring him to him. He doesn't have to do any marketing mm-hmm. and his business has grown 400%. It's crazy. You know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times he doesn't have to be a huge business either. This kid's set up for life, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really doing well and just figured out a niche. It's a market that's dying. And, you know, and nothing said too, for entrepreneurship, you always don't have to, um, I like to touch on is, you don't have to start a new business. There's a lot of, you know, baby booners, people in Gen X that are getting out of their businesses, right? That their kids don't want to take over their business. There's a lot of biz- good businesses for sale in the U.S. as well, that if you take it over and a new fresh set of eyes comes in and energy, you can really turn those businesses into something special, transform them and really turn them into cash cows. So that's another option to always think about is, I have a lot of people that have good businesses that would love a young mentor to come in there. They apprentice with them two years, they take it over and there's some kind of rev share in the back end. And then for five, 10 years, and then they own the business 
basically for doing, you know, just putting in the time and the work ethic. Mm -hmm. And you could really set yourself and your family up for something special if you can find that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if anyone wants to reach out to you, and I appreciate you've shared so much today, like either to potentially work on your your team at Prima Health, if I know you're accepting investment money, like I think there's probably people that'll hear that and want to talk to you. Like, is LinkedIn an okay way to reach you? Like, it sounds like you're kind of open to someone asking. Yeah, yeah, always. Yep, go in there and send me an email, message through there, whatever. All my contact info is there. Yeah, always welcome to connect and uh, point people in the right direction. Because people usually reach out are usually pretty motivated and uh, like to connect. If, you know, if I'm not the right person, put them in touch with, uh, you know, send them on the right path at least. Yeah. No, and, and thank you for being a part of our show today. I know uh, I know it's a commitment of an hour, which you only have so much time every day. So we, we really, really appreciate you taking the time. And very excited to say I once met the uh, founder of Prima Health uh, 10 <laughs> years see. from now. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're hoping to displace care credit, so, and we're on the path, so hopefully we'll get there. Well, at the very least, we'll just officially have a ban on any care credit uh, business black belts uh, episodes. <laughs> okay, so make sure you get the full share of our PR. <laughs> right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on today, and I uh, hope I added some value to your listeners and uh, wish you the best of luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.